Spring is here on the Lollygaggers podcast. And hopefully it'll last a little longer than winter. <laughs> I joke to hide my sadness, actually. In this episode, Jeff heads to the woods for the Boom Studios comic, while Justin heads to the movies for Pokemon Detective Pikachu. Top 10 superheroes arrive for the Gentleman's Challenge, and Justin makes a haboob out of himself with Netflix's Chambers. Welcome to episode 53 of the Lollygaggers podcast, the show about all sorts of different things from comics to games, movies to TV. I am one of your host, Jeff. I'm the other one, Justin. How's it going, man? Uh, uh, before you start, sorry, before what? you start, I just got, I got to put out again. Doom Patrol is amazing. All right. I know I'm not talking about that with today, but oh, man, there was a scene I watched recently where a bunch of butts ate people. So you got to get on that as fast as possible. You got to watch Doom Patrol. It's, it's are you, supposed so to, are you trying to like convince me to watch it or convince me not to watch it? Because I don't. I'll know convince you. It's it's butts are eating people. I don't butts. know if I appreciate uh, butts eating people. I know it's so good. Oh man. Oh, my, Anyways, what were you guys? I'm sorry. Then that's my my jam. Uh, let's see. Uh, I I guess I guess I totally threw in for a loop. Uh, so summer is beginning uh, for me uh, as a teacher. Uh, so I have. Grades due tomorrow, and then uh, and then I have like about two weeks off, and then I start summer school. So I have like this whole list of comics I'm gonna read over the over the summer. So I have a, a list on Comicsology. It's on my wish list. It's ready to go. Uh, Hit me with a couple of, titles. What, what, what are we talking about? Well, I want to get back to Lock and Key because I read like the first volume of Lock and Key way back when you told me about it, and uh, so I did Lock and Key for a bit, but I want to get back to it and kind of finish it. Uh, and then I got one I'm gonna talk about today uh, called uh, The Woods. Uh, and then I got this other one. I've heard about the woods, and it's yeah, supposed yeah. to be very, very good. Okay, so let me just dive into it then. Uh, I do have some other comics that we'll get to at a later date, but there, I got a, I got at least about six or seven I want to get into. Plus, uh, plus the weatherman's supposed to be coming back over the summer, so I'm pretty, uh, pretty excited about that. So anyway, I uh, I have started reading the woods, uh, which is written by James Tinney and the Fourth, and it's got art by Michael Dionysus. I'm not sure if I pronounced that right, so sorry uh, if I didn't. Uh, it's by Boom Studios, uh, and I am through The Woods Volume 1, and I am into, but not yet concluded, uh, Volume 2. So I'm about halfway through Volume 2, and each each of these uh, volumes is broken up to a series of chapters, uh, and so I think I'm through like seven chapters total, I think, so somewhere around there, it's about right. Uh, so The Woods, it came out back in 2014, uh, so it's a good five years old at this point. It's currently unlimited. Uh, on Comixology, so if you have a subscription to Comixology, you know that uh, that anything that's marked unlimited, you basically just borrow. You don't have to pay for it. Uh, it's just your subscription. Your monthly subscription gives you access to a bunch of stuff. So I have a lot of lot of unlimited comics on my reading list, and The Woods it was sort of the top of it. Now, one of the reasons The Woods was on the top of my list is because I like I like premise. Uh, I like really kind of crazy, big time, idea driven, you know, premise stories like that are like kind of weird and strange. I'm not a huge superhero guy, as we mentioned before, uh, but the the premise of the woods is that about uh, this is the, I guess the the events of the story take place in 2013, and it it, it follows a school, uh, a high school called a Bay Point Preparatory High, uh, which is in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Uh, it vanishes from the face of our earth. And so the 500 or so teachers and students uh, and I, I assume staff and, uh, and janitorial stuff and other things like that, which aren't haven't actually been, been uh, recognized. Uh, so I feel like our, our administration and Matt people, they really need to be uh, 
credited properly. But anyway, uh, teachers and students, about 500 of them, disappear, and they're on a completely different uh, world, a moon that's orbiting some sort of big old uh, gas giant somewhere in the universe. And this all happens instantaneously. So this is not a spoiler alert. Like, this is the first 20 pages of the comic, right? Uh, and it's also, you know, in the summary. So there you go. So that's the premise. The The premise is that there's this there's this huge, strange event that occurs, and now it's up to the individuals that have been transported to this other world to figure out exactly what's going on. Now, fortunately, this other world uh, as apparently has a breathable atmosphere, so that's cool. Uh, so they're not immediately dead, uh, but it's not, as we can tell, a civilized uh, world. So it's they're kind of in, quote-unquote, the woods, like this crazy alien jungle. And the when I say the whole people and the whole school, I do mean the building itself. So the building of the school of Bay Point Preparatory High is also transported with them. Uh, and so the beginning of, of the first volume has to do with a lot of the characters trying to figure out what exactly they're going to do. Now, there isn't a whole lot of build-up towards this event. Like, the the event, like I said, happens really, really fast. So it's not like we've spent a whole issue getting to know some of the some of the, the main players before this teleportation thing happens. Like we we don't really know them very well. We get like a very brief, like one line piece of exposition that summarizes each character. It's kind of like when we see a new character show up on the screen, and if we know that they're going to be an important character, we get a quick summary of like what's going through their mind. So like the principal, for instance, is like their their quick one line summary is like wondering who you know he's currently wondering who's who convinced him to be principal in the first place and then we have like student body president Maria who is talking to the principal and we also get a little glimpse at like her thought process which is wondering who put the principal in charge in the first place right and so we get a little line of that for like the the various major players now for the most part all the major players are students and as you'd expect this is this is sort of a, a YA type of book uh, and uh, only, I guess, I, only the, really the principal is kind of a main player uh, from the adult standpoint. Uh, there's like a, a coach that, that gets into play as well, uh, but uh, sort of in a villainy kind of way. Um, so what then happens is that a handful of students uh, start following this one guy named Adrian, who uh, just recently got uh, rejected from MIT. And that's all we really know about him. And he's sort of super smart. And somehow he has this, he he just knows what's going on, right? And they're like outside the grounds of the school. There is this uh, kind of triangular obelisk of some kind uh, that he, he assumes is pointing the direction that they need to go. And he tries to convince a handful of students to follow him into the jungle uh, that hanging around just in the school and like and waiting for faculty to come up with something and waiting for uh, and the teachers waiting for someone to come save them. It's not going to happen because no one knows where they are at. No one knows what's going on, etc. And then Maria. Yeah, like there's so that's like one story, a handful of students that kind of come together to go explore this this jungle that they've been teleported to. And then another story is kind of what's going on at the high school itself as people are kind of panicking and figuring out what, uh, you know, what to do. Like, oh, my God, like we're, we're on a completely different planet. How do how do we handle this? Uh, and most of that story involves a conflict between Maria, the student body president, uh, and the faculty. And uh, much like many teenage young adult dramas, uh, 
the the adults don't know anything like and so like i mean that's one of my quibbles i guess with this one is that i just you know i find the way in which they deal with the ineptitude of adulthood to be so generic and cliche and it's kind of sad um i understand that the comic is for young adults and i understand that most most of the people who are reading this are probably going to be young adults but at the same time it's such a cliche and i'm kind of tired of it uh is it's just I don't know. It's really hard to kind of wrap my head around it. But eventually, fortunately, the uh, second volume uh, seems to focus a little bit more on like the the exploration of the jungle as opposed to like the goings on. Uh, and so there's like all sorts of weird storylines that that begin to transpire at the high school as like power is rested. Um, like 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 it's trying to are the are the students going to be in charge? Are the faculty going to be in charge? Like there's this one uh, scene of like all the faculty kind of getting together and freaking out. They're like, we're just English teachers and we're just math teachers and we're just coaches, etc. Like, yeah, you are, but you're also the adults. And I don't know. So I thought the depiction of the adults in this was it was it was, you know, as you would expect, incredibly cliche and undersold and not very interesting. Um, I don't think the first volume is actually that great. Um, to be honest, but uh, as I've read into the second volume, I'm much more encouraged about the story uh, because what the other group that starts to explore the jungle uh, of this this place begins to, to discover is really, really interesting. First of all, there's all sorts of crazy monsters and aliens and stuff that are in the jungle, and some of those attack the high school and certain people get killed a handful, uh, sort of raise the stakes a bit, but no one of note, no one of consequence uh, yet anyway. Uh, and then as they delve further and further into the jungle, uh, it becomes clear that Adrian uh, is being led by something or someone, or maybe he's just going crazy. Um, we get this weird scene in the beginning of the comic where um, you see him almost communicating like he's talking to somebody or talking to the stone, that triangular stone. And so he's a really smart guy, uh, like with the math and with the sciences and all that kind of computer programming stuff. So some people just follow him just because he's smart. Uh, and so they kind of delve, they, they start exploring the jungle more. They come into contact with some of these monsters. They find like this weird temple in the middle of the jungle. And so they start to explore that as well. Uh, and then they encounter other, you know, other people on the planet um, that are like Vikings or some, some such. So there's, there's the suggestion perhaps that like they're not maybe the first people to have been teleported to this planet. And there might be, this might be some sort of test or ritual. Uh, there's some sort of competing factions that are going on the planet as well. So all that stuff is super promising, and I'm really interested in the goings-on of that. So I'm really happy that the second volume gets away uh, from the high school itself, because uh, that high school storyline was just really bad. Uh, I just didn't think it was particularly good at all. Um, I guess another complaint I have about this is that it's very hard to like uh, a lot of the, in, in the first volume, it's very hard to like any of the uh, of the actors. Like, they're all... Um, they're all very mean and they all yell at each other and uh, even the friends of each other. Like I just, there's a certain point where I just felt like this is really strange. Like, Why is anyone following this person? Why is anyone following that person? Why is anyone taking this person seriously? And I think this stems from the fact that there really wasn't much lead up time and we really didn't get a whole lot of pages to, to really get to know these characters before the shit hit the fan. Uh, and it would have been nice to get kind of a baseline uh, of, of who they were, who their identities are, so I can kind of figure out who I'm rooting for, who I'm following, uh, etc. Uh, there are some, you know, kind of intriguing things going on. There's some, there's definitely in the second volume, I think they're handling it better as they're exploring some of these backstories. So the first volume is all about what happens in the now. So there's very little flashback or anything like that. It's all about now, 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 then being on the planet. But the second volume, they get into sort of the more traditional 
we're going to have the now storyline of them exploring the planet. And then each issue kind of has its own flashback, uh, flashback focus to like a year ago. And so that we're looking at a singular character. Um, and then we're learning a little bit about their backstory. So like Tsunami is one of the, um, one of the main characters. She's one of the people that actually goes into the jungle group to explore. Uh, she's from a family that is kind of like a uh, Swiss family Robinson type where they have a house somewhere in, in like the Wisconsin woods, but they don't have any electricity or plumbing or something like that. And there was some kind of like Discovery Channel uh, type uh, sponsor. But we learned that things weren't good at home, um, that she used to run away and she really, really hated it. Um, and one of her friends, uh, Karen has a tendency not to take things too seriously, but for some reason, like the two of them kind of clicked and that really gave some depth to the character, uh, of Sami. Whereas in the first volume, she was just super bossy, kind of telling everybody how it was supposed to be just yelling and being rude and not, and not respecting anyone. It was just really frustrating. And I'm like, why, why is anyone paying attention to her? Right. Uh, then there's this other character, um, that I think his name is Calder. The first, and this is, again, one of the shortcomings, I think, of the first volume. The first time we see this character, he's he's streaking naked through the high school. And it's like, I don't I don't know where you guys are from, but, I mean, if that happens at my school or probably at your school, that kid's going to jail. I mean, like, you just, it's not he's something. He's going to jail. He's going to jail. Like, this isn't something like, ha, 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 ha. Like, this guy is exposing himself to girls in a locker room first, and then he starts streaking through the high school. Like, that's a very serious thing. So... Um, I, I think things are presented in the first volume in a way that's really half-assed. Uh, and once they actually take some time to really develop the characters, things get better. But now that's the cool thing, because he's also one of the characters that goes on this jungle expedition. And once volume two comes around, we get a whole issue, a whole chapter that's dedicated to exploring his backstory, which includes him actually being a relatively smart guy. Um, he's very into history because uh, his grandmother would buy him history books and like he would read about history and he knows, he knows all sorts of stuff about the, like, these ancient battles. Uh, but he also is abused by his older brother. Um, he doesn't, his parents aren't really in the picture. Um, and so there's all sorts of things that like, okay, we're getting depth for him now. And it's just, it's a shame that our first impression, at least my first impression of so many of these characters was a very bad one to the point where I'm like, I'm kind of okay if they get eaten by those crazy wolf bear thingies that are chasing them in, in, in the jungle. Uh, but now that I'm getting to know them better, it's a, a little bit, a little bit more palatable. Right. Um, so Ultimately, I, I, I think this is like, I'm going to keep reading it for sure, because I think the premise is cool. Like, why are they there? Um, there's there's like these, again, there's this whole Viking crew that they run into in the forest. And it's like, who are those people? Why are they here? They find this temple that's got all sorts of inscriptions that suggest that there have been other visitors to this location over the course of different centuries. Uh, and so why why this high school? Why this group of people? Uh, what's driving Adrian because we get the sense that Adrian is talking to somebody and communicating with somebody and that might not necessarily whoever he's communicating with and sort of driving this is his decision to kind of delve, delve further and further into the into the forest might be malicious in nature um, I think I think volume two really salvaged it for me whereas um, if if it had gone the same path that it was going down in volume one I probably would have bailed uh, but at this point now, I, I feel a little bit more comfortable and confident um, with where, where the story is going. Uh, I really wish that they didn't um, half-ass so much in the first volume. And I really wish they would have actually been a little bit more patient um, in es establishing some characters before the craziness happened. I understand that you needed an exciting incident and you need to kind of get the hook in. Uh, but I do think that 
if the story is going to be character driven and we're supposed to want to root and follow some of these people and we want to try to understand some of the decisions and the behaviors that they make, that you have to kind of like lay that foundation first. Um, so uh, if you're patient with the woods, I think it kind of, it's so far it's pan, it's panning out for me, uh, but it did take a little bit of, of me kind of glossing over some of the things that, that kind of, I would normally have, have, have maybe quit on uh, if not for, for getting to that second volume. So uh, maybe I'll touch base later this summer uh, if I continue uh, if I continue down the road uh, and see where it goes uh, and what the big uh, mystery might be. So that's The Woods. Uh, it's by Boom Studios. You can get it on Comixology uh, and various other places uh, for relatively cheap. All right. Well, I went to the movie theater this morning. Okay. I went with my wife to go see Detective Pikachu. So uh, this is a little-known uh, source material. Not many people understand what Pokemon is. So let me explain this to you. Back in, like, 1994 or 5, uh, Nintendo came up with a Vigi game, And uh, the Vigi game is about collecting exotic animals and fighting them against each other. So that's what this movie is based off of, that source material. So uh, that's a little backstory about uh, Pokemon, just for those who don't know. But uh, this movie uh, came out this past Friday. It is directed by Rob Letterman. So he's done a whole bunch of other animated films like uh, Monsters vs. Aliens. He did a Shark's Tale. He also did the Goosebumps movie not too long ago. So the guy's done a few things. It stars uh, Justice Smith. Um, He plays Tim Gordon. Ryan Reynolds is Detective Pikachu, which is the biggest draw for me um, because Ryan Reynolds is my boo, and I hope one day he hears this and realizes that. Um, Catherine Newton plays Lucy, and Bill Nye, he's been in um, a whole bunch of, like, uh, what's the Simon Pegg movies? I forget. Like He's been in, like, Hot uh, Fuzz. Uh, yeah, he was the he was the captain in Hot Fuzz in the beginning. He was one of the captains that they, they, they call it when they're firing. He was the stepdad in Shaun of the Dead. And he was, yeah, he was, uh, he was stepdad in Shaun of the Dead. So he was also he's been in other stuff too because he was wasn't he like the bad wasn't he like Davy Jones and uh, one of the Pirates of the Caribbean am I am I completely no, imagining that, that was uh, that was what's his name he he played Mance Raider in um uh uh, uh in uh, Game of Thrones Mance Raider was uh, Davy Jones but anyways uh so the idea is that Tim Gordon is the son of of a detective, Harry Gordon. And Harry is a detective of Rhyme City Police Department. And Tim receives some some voicemails about his father's passing. His father was uh, knocked off the road over a bridge, and uh, both he and his partner were killed. What's special about Rhyme City is that in this world of Pokemon, Pokemon live in the wild, and your job is to try and train them and become and battle them and eventually, you know, uh, become a Pokemon trainer and all that stuff. Well, in Rhyme City, they've decided to kind of evolve the way they think about Pokemon. Uh, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And the idea is that they don't cage their Pokemon. They just kind of have one they hang out with, and they're friends. And Pokemon kind of much, pretty much have equal rights. They have jobs. They have, uh, you know living facilities and stuff like that but they're just regular pokemon they don't speak they just say their name like normal so like a pikachu would say pikachu and all stuff they just have specific jobs and partners they work with so harry's partner is pikachu and he's called detective pikachu most specifically because he has like a detective hat on and most pokemon don't wear hats so both he and his partner were killed and tim goes 
to his father's house, and he's been estranged from his father for years because his father was a detective and buried himself into his career and kind of estranged himself from his son being somewhat of a deadbeat dad. So Tim goes reluctantly to go find his father's uh, belongings to try and start splitting them up. And in the process, he, d- he discovers uh, Pikachu. And Pikachu is alive. And Pikachu also believes that uh, his father is alive. So him and Tim go on this adventure of detective work throughout Rhyme City and throughout the area to try and solve if his father is dead and solve the, the mystery of what's going on. So that's the basic premise of the movie. And then when you go beyond that, you start talking about spoilers of things that happen. There's, so let's talk about what I thought of it. So the big thing was, I want to go see this this weekend. I want to kind of talk to Jeff whether or not he should watch it or not in theaters. Because Right, right. Because like, I got to admit, <coughs> like, when I watched the trailers, I'm like, ha, ha, those are good trailers. It seems cute and funny. And it's, you know, I mean, Ryan Reynolds is a charmer. Right. So to be honest, like, I don't know anything about Pokemon other than the fact that like there was the, the, the Pokemon go face thing that was going on. And like, I know who Pikachu is obviously. Cause I, I think isn't Pikachu in S- super smash or something like that. He's, and then, like a, he's pretty much there. He's their yeah. poster boy. But like, I like the trailers. Like every time I'd watch the trailers, I'd laugh, like it would giggle and it's Ryan Reynolds and he's dreamy and that's great. Um, but it's just one of those movies where I'm like, I think I want to watch it, but I don't think I want to watch it in theaters because it's like, I don't really think I'm going to get a lot of it. So I'm just going to wait until it comes out. But maybe you can convince me otherwise. So here's the thing. If you are a Pokemon fan, this movie is unbelievable. Especially if like you're a little, this is great for little kids who are into Pokemon. Because there are so many different Pokemon, it becomes a game within itself to be able to identify and name the Pokemon in the movie. They really do a lot of good fan service of like showing the wide variety of the different type of Pokemon that are in the universe. Um, my brother, he was really into Pokemon when he was a child. Um, I think he is still some into it as an adult, and he's using his son as a way to mask the fact that he's going to go see these movies because now Owen's watching these movies. And, or watching these TV shows, and is like, oh, let's go watch Pikachu, Owen, I know you wanna. And, you know, meanwhile, he gets to kind of, like, enjoy it himself. But, like, if you're one of those people, so there's these, like, 151 purists, right? The original Pokemon, 151 of them. And now, like, they go into, like, there's, like, close to, like, 400 of them or 500 of them. May not be for your purists, because it goes up to all the really super weird, abstract Pokemon. But still, it's, it's it really has nothing to do with that. It just kind of, like, gives you an ability to see the universe that they're in. The special effects are tremendous. Um, Pikachu is adorable at all times. Uh, there's a Psyduck who is just so cute. The other weird Pokemon, like there's a Charizard and Bulbasaurs and all different types of big Pokemon that are like super, super popular. They all look unbelievable. And there wasn't a single time in the movie where I was like taken away from it because of the CGI. There's one very CGI like disaster moments, which kind of seemed kind of like a, what was that, 20... 2011 or whatever that movie was is kind of disaster type of thing. 2012? 2012, that's what I was saying. John Cusack? Yeah. Yeah, like where it's kind of like that disaster feel, but there was a meaning behind it. And, you know, I kind of, you know, in, you know, remember like in Jurassic World, the whole running away from the exploding volcano thing? Like sometimes that takes me out of it because it's so unrealistic and stupid. But this had uh-huh. some meaning behind it. So it was okay. But there was a moment, there's a small moment in the movie where it was like that. But beyond that, I thought the special effects, the story was good, and uh, just Ryan Reynolds is so funny the whole time. Uh, he really carries the movie. So the actors in the movie is Justice Smith. He plays the nerd 
from Jurassic World. He was the the nerdy one that screamed a lot. You have Ryan Reynolds, uh, uh, Catherine Newton plays, she's been in a couple things lately. She recently was in, uh, was it, uh, Big Little Lies. She was in that. And she was also in that movie Cockblockers with John Cena, which is okay. It's an okay movie. But she was the, she's played John Cena's daughter. Um, and Ken Watanabe's in it too. And everyone loves Ken Watanabe because he's just so dreamy and stuff. And he is also in those Godzilla movies coming up. So, like, overall, I thought the movie was very, very good and fun to watch. It was cute. It was sweet. It has little twists and turns. There's nothing super, super non-telegraphed. Like, there's some things you can tell, like, okay, this is probably going to happen. This, you know, you kind of get it and see what's happening. But there's little things that I think that are great. And there's a lot of great fan service to people that are Pokemon fans. Outside person looking in, though, I don't know, with lack of knowledge of the material, how impactful some of this stuff is because like and it's in the previews like you see Mewtwo and stuff like that Mewtwo is like a really big deal in the in the, the video games and the, and the tv shows and the old movies I don't know if that means a lot to you at all because you don't know you know bupkiss about anything about the stuff so I don't know if it'll carry as much coolness factor to you as it like does to me or say like a little kid who's really into the Pokemons but for me I thought it was an entertaining movie I would say for you I would wait until it comes out on, like, rental. I think for you, this is probably a, a $3 one and not so much a $20 movie thing. If you have kids and you want to get them into something that will last them forever because Pokemon has, like, 87 seasons or something like that, it's fantastic for kids. There is a lot of adult humor, too. Ryan Reynolds has a lot of good jokes, and so does Justice Smith. There's some, like, really adult jokes in here. I'm like, whoa, this is a kid's film. But, like, the little kids won't be able to pick up on it. But it's just also so good for little kids because everything's so cute and adorable. Nothing dies. There's no blood. It's barely violent. Like, the most violent thing is you get a giant dragon creature beating stuff up. But, like, it's Charizard and it's a giant dragon. So, like, who cares? So, I'd say as a whole, go see it. If you're a Pokemon fan, it's I think it's probably the best, probably the best video game movie ever made. I know that's not really holding up a torch to very much because there's not much out there to compare it to. But the source material of this is video games. Like, when I was looking up the writing credentials, there's like 12 writing credentials because you have, they're saying like, they're taking writing credentials from the TV show and the and the video games and all this stuff. So like, they're saying that they're taking it from all the source material. And for it being a game about collecting animals and having them fight each other till they faint, to take that little bit of idea and kind of put a really decent story on it, it was actually very, very good. And I was very surprised by it. It was very cute. Because, um, man, Ryan Reynolds mixed with a Pikachu face. Who would have thought that Pikachu could be so sexy? And they were able to pull it off. So, uh, I'd say again for you, rent it. If you have any interest in Pokemon, this is a must-see. I think it's it's a really fun movie. And I couldn't find any moment in the movie where I'm like, this is stupid. Like, it was all fun. It was well-paced. And it was, it was a cute, good movie. So, that's a... Pikachu or Detective Pikachu, it's in your theaters now. Um, so that's my recommendation nice. for Jeffrey. All right. So uh, before we jump into the Gentleman's Challenge, I, I, I do think it's important uh, just to maintain the integrity of our show. For me to point out that Justin was 100% wrong and I was 100% right, that Bill Nye did in fact play uh, Davy Jones in Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. So I just want to point that out. Uh, yes, double checked it. So you don't have to email. You don't have to write. It's taken care of. It's totally fine. Oh man, I was about to get so many emails. So I know many. it was it was crazy. I just want to point thank you. out. Thank you, thank you. I just I it, someone has to maintain the integrity of the show, right? All right. So anyway, with that one, uh, let's go ahead and do our gentleman's challenge for the week. And now it's time for the gentleman's challenge. So the Gentleman's Challenge is a segment we do here on the Lollygaggers podcast where Justin and I like to give each other homework assignments. These homework assignments tend to be some sort of comic to read or TV show to watch or movie to see. Uh, And then to ensure that we did our homework, we come back on the next episode and we quiz each other about it and try to make ourselves look stupid. Now, we should warn you that everything that we talk about here in the Gentleman's Challenge segment is spoiler heavy. Uh, So if there is a topic we're covering and you don't want to be spoiled upon it yet, uh, best to wait, come back, and and experience this after you have watched or read that topic on your own. Uh, Now, with that warning out of the way, Justin, I think I'm going to go ahead and uh, start us off uh, because I want to talk again about another comic. So it's a very comics-heavy episode for me. Uh, So Justin uh, assigned me... Uh, Top 10 uh, by Alan Moore uh, came out uh, back in the, what was it, the late uh, late 90s? Was it like 99 to 2000, something like that? Is that right? Is that right? Am I wrong? That can't be right. No, uh, 2015. Sorry, I got it. I got it. Print release date, April 21st, uh, 2015. Uh, so Top 10 is a... Uh, it's a superhero comic, which is fascinating because uh, Justin likes uh, giving me superhero comics, and uh, I don't. I don't tend to like them. Uh, but this one is a little bit interesting because uh, the the entire series is is sort of a, a I would say a marriage of superhero, big time metropolis type city, uh, mixed with uh, like like really simplistic, overly simplistic like cop procedural. Uh, and so in this this world or the city of Neapolis, uh, which is uh, which I, I think the the universe itself is like there's all sorts of parallel world stuff that they talk about, but they don't really get into it too heavy. Uh, but it's the city of Neapolis is where all of this takes place. And all of the cops uh, in this particular city are are superheroes. But not only are the cops uh, like superheroes or uh, or science heroes is I think a term that they use a lot of the time, which is basically people with powers or people with some sort of special ability. Uh, but most of the citizenry is as well. Uh, and because of that, we have all sorts of weird hijinks that happen throughout the course uh, of the of the comic where not only are weird superhero, superhuman type crimes transpiring, but then we have superhero, super cop type people coming to enforce the law and now it 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 almost sounds terrible right but at the same time it's kind of funny Uh, and i think that to some degree maybe this is some kind of satirization because there's a lot of sight gags there's a lot of puns uh when it comes to certain characters and what we see in in the the different things that happen there's a a really uh there was a really heavy emphasis on uh pornography and uh, how a bunch of like alien and you know alien superhero type people got into like the pornography ring and the prostitution ring, uh, so that's kind of kind of interesting. I, I, I do think there's a lot of satire involved in this because Alan Moore uh, doesn't like superheroes, so he likes to deconstruct them quite a bit. Um, there's yeah. this one small book he wrote a while back. I think it was called The Time Men, something like that. Time Watch Boys. I don't know, but uh, in that book. <laughs> He uh, he deconstructed uh, a lot of superheroes, 
more in particular the Justice League and all that stuff. So, or the uh, League of uh, Superheroes. So, uh, yeah, he doesn't like superheroes, and he likes to make fun of a lot of the stuff involved with them. So, yeah, so I think yeah. he and I are aligned in that regard, to be honest. Uh, so that's maybe one of the reasons that Justin actually recommended this to me, because he knows, knows how I feel. Now, there is a massive cast of characters, because we follow all of the different cops in this precinct. Uh, and it's the, what is it? It's the 10th precinct, but they, like, as a nickname, they call themselves the Top 10, which is where the name of the actual comic comes from. And so there are too many characters for me to, to list because there are absurd, an absurd amount. And actually, that's probably one of my complaints is that there are too many characters and they're hard to kind of keep track of after a certain point in time. Uh, but some of them are pretty interesting. Uh, I think one of the ones that we follow pretty frequently is Toy Box. Uh, who is also, I mean, her regular name is Robin Slinger, but like her, I guess, superhero or science hero name is Toy Box because uh, she ha she carries around a box filled with like little uh, robotic dudes, toy dudes that she uses to control. Uh, her partner is Jeff Smacks, who is a big, giant blue guy uh, who is super strong and indestructible. Uh, there is uh, one of my favorite uh, superhero names is Ermageddon. Uh, and so that's Officer Irma Warnow, and she is just like this heavyset, stocky, middle-aged woman with some kids, and she's super patriotic, and uh, yeah, she just runs around with like nuclear weapons and stuff on her. And uh, yeah, her name is Irma Geddon. Uh, that's pretty clever. I like it. Uh, there's also, I'm trying to remember uh, his name, but I, I really don't. Uh, but the the Sarge, because like, they just call him Sarge most of the time, I think his, I think his name is Hyperdog, um, and he's basically a dog. Uh, like a Doberman pincer, uh, and he is he is basically using a big robotic exoskeleton, uh, and he speaks like a human would, and yeah, and so he and he wears like a Hawaiian shirt all the time, uh, and yeah, 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 he's just it's really weird uh, and it's kind of strange. I don't really know the whole details behind it, but uh, he made me laugh. There's um, there's a cowboy. Uh, whose name I want to say is, uh, I can't remember. Um, it's not, it's not shock-headed Pete. That's his partner. Uh, but I can't remember. There's a, there's also a cowboy guy. Uh, it'll come to me at some point. Uh, and so he just wanders around with like a big old gun. Uh, so anyway, those, like, those are some of the samplings of characters. There's also Jackie, uh, who's again, I can't remember her name. There's just so many names and she has the ability to phase in and out. Uh, and that's like her big skill. Also, she's like a super uh, aggressive uh, uh, lesbian uh, who is trying to hit on like everything that moves, which I feel is kind of uh, uh, trying to say something uh, about uh, about LGBT. But whatever, I'm not going to get into that. Uh, so the I guess there's a couple different storylines that are going on. There, there's a 12 issues total split into two volumes. I have not read the whole thing. I've read about half. Uh, and... There's a couple big crimes that are carried over from one issue to the next that we are following. And, and I should point out that this is really kind of a day in the life of these these characters, these cops. And uh, it's not like a, a monster of the week type of thing uh, that we sometimes see in our television shows with our different procedurals. This is more like an NYPD blue type of thing where the crime kind of carries over from episode to the episode. And every now and then they kind of get wrapped up. So there's a couple big ones that are going on. First, there's the Libra killer. Uh, and that is a some kind of serial killer who is killing prostitutes, uh, and they have appeared again, uh, having gone into some sort of dormancy for a little while. And uh, so, big old there's a there's a, a woman by the name of Large Marge, 
uh, who who runs this prostitution ring, and her girls are getting killed again, and specifically they're getting beheaded. And so that's one of the investigations that uh, some of the, the characters engage in. Uh, there's also uh, a some kind of dead body that they find with a saddle, and there's the suggestion that there might have been murdered, and it has to do with someone named uh, Professor Gromalko, uh, and that's becomes an investigation where they bring him in and then he commits suicide while in the interrogation and like they're trying to figure out why and what's going on uh what's what's happening i imagine that hasn't by, by the point where i'm at in the story that hasn't been resolved yet so i'm guessing there might be bigger things going on there um where i'm at the prostitution libra story has has resolved itself so i know how that ends but i'm not going to spoil it um if however you read the opening exposition text before the at the very beginning of volume one uh, there, it does. Reading that gets rewarded later on. Uh, so if you actually take the time to read through those heavy pages of really small text with no images, uh, you do get rewarded for getting some of that backstory, which is nice. Uh, and then there's a third story that's almost like a joke, um, but it's like uh, the the ghost. Uh, what's it called? The, the ghostly goose, uh, which is a guy. I assume it's a guy, but I could be totally wrong. Uh, but apparently, there's some sort of invisible person, possibly invisible, that's groping women. Um, and they just, every now and then, like someone's ass gets touched. Uh, and there's all sorts of these casual, like offhanded references to this particular criminal. And where I'm at in the story, Jackie, uh, she gets uh, touched and uh, it turns into like a big deal at that point. Uh, but that has not yet been resolved. But it is just like this ongoing story that's happening in the background. It's not one of the major stories, uh, but it's there. There's little bits and pieces about backstory from the different superheroes, like Toy Box, for instance. Her dad was a cop, but her dad has some kind of Alzheimer's uh, going on, and that's not great. Smacks, uh, who is her partner, his previous partner uh, was killed, and uh, we, you know, that that happened before the actual uh, issue started. You learn a little bit about his partner in that, like in that opening exposition before the first issue begins, and so he's kind of dealing with that. He also is apparently. A guy who sleeps around a bit, um, and so there's all sorts of talk about whether or not he and Toy Box are going to be a thing at some point. Um, there is, and there's a couple other odds and ends here and there. Uh, there's like a kind of a Godzilla type character, sort of like these big old ogre apes thing, lizard guys, uh, which is pretty funny. Uh, that's kind of an ongoing thing where the son of a former big time villain is like really pissed off and is trying to like. Uh, kind of rise the the local gangs out of the South Green or something like that, I think is the neighborhood, and uh, he gets arrested, and then his dad comes by and gets him freed. And, yeah, but it's not, it doesn't seem like it's a huge story. It just seems like it's just another case, again, a day in the life uh, kind of thing going on here. Um, so overall, like, it, there's, there's again, there's a handful of storylines that are kind of carried over from one to the next. Some of them kind of get picked up here and there. There's this weird shift into, like, a Christmas story at one point. Uh, which is really strange. Uh, I almost thought, like, what, what, what the hell just happened? Uh, but uh, but overall, like, I kind of like it. Uh, I think it's pretty funny um, at times. There's tons of sight gags. My favorite sight gag uh, was the name of a reporter uh, slash photographer. So during, in, in the actual precinct itself, like, when some of the, you know, some of the, the cops and Sarge is, like, doing different uh, debriefings to the press, uh, you can see offhand, like off to the side, it's not it's not a centerpiece, whatever. There is a a man or a woman with a turtle shell, and so it's a it's a it's an anthropomorphic turtle 
that's got one of those old school hats on and like a little bit of a trench coat, but still has the, the shell. And you can see their name is printed on the back of their shell and it's called the snapping turtle. And it's because they're, because they're a turtle and they're snapping, but they're also snapping pictures uh, with a camera. And I thought that was, uh, that was pretty funny. Uh, and so there are little moments like that throughout that uh, kind of get a chuckle. Uh, my biggest complaint is that I felt like there were just too many characters. There's just too much going on, and it gets to a point where, like, trying to keep track of things, and I wasn't sure who I was supposed to keep track of. I kind of lost track of people's names. It's. Uh, I would say that about this book. is It's a lot. It is a it's lot. so much. Of everything. Um, a lot of writing, a lot of, you know, talking. There's, like, eight panels a page all the time. There's so much to this. It, it almost it's very busy. A chore. It's very yeah. busy. Yeah, I mean, it takes some work and takes some um, commitment, but I do think it's worthwhile. Um, I, I think some of the dialogue is isn't great. Uh, some of the dialogue between characters when they're talking to one another it just doesn't make sense. Um, and it's 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 one of those things where exposition or identity of a character and their backstory is awkwardly placed into the voice of a different character. So at one point, Toy Box is talking to uh, like the. Um, like one of the doctors, like people who do, you know, who is, is like the medical examiner and it's just like, oh, I know you and like references like almost like a CV or a resume, like what this person's history is. I'm like, that that doesn't sound like an authentic line of dialogue. And I, I, mean, I guess that's the that's the difficulty of, of comics, right, is that you don't really have paragraphs like you do in like a novel or a short story where you can drop that type of exposition it's it's really just visuals and mostly dialogue and unless you wanted to do some sort of voiceover exposition uh almost like like in the woods with those little quick lines like there's really no other way to get that out but um but there are a few moments where i thought the dialogue was a little stilted uh, but overall i actually kind of enjoyed it and i'm probably going to stick with it and since there's it's not very long it's only 12 issues um, i'm looking forward to it, it being concluded so i, I think Compared to some of the other ones that you've suggested, I actually like this one in terms of superheroes. And uh, yeah, I'm probably going to finish it. All right. So you ready for your quiz questions? Probably not because I read it like a week and a half ago and I don't really remember anything. Uh, oh, yeah. I'm screwed with Chambers, too. I got, I got no, I got no mm. chance with Chambers. This is going to be bad. This is going to be bad. All right. Can you name the prostitute super? So I'm going to call all these people supers, these, these citizens and stuff. So the prostitute that was caught... With the inflatable guy. Uh, she had a special set of abilities and she had a specific name that was written on her chest. Do you remember what her name was? I do. Um, it was Immune Girl. Absolutely uh, correct. And she was immune to sexually transmitted diseases because there was a specific sexually transmitted disease that apparently um, superheroes or super science heroes get. It's sexually transmitted organic rapid mutation syndrome, uh, otherwise known as storms. Actually, that was in my notes, so I knew that one. Yes, immune girl. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Next question. What does the shirt on the Godzilla monster father read? Uh, no fat chicks. No that fat sounds, chicks. That I saw that, weird. and I'm like, Justin's going to ask me that question. Thank you for being you and being in, in yeah, yeah, yeah. It absolutely said no fat chicks. All right. Why did Lee knock out Sarge? Can you explain the situation that happened there? There's a whole little mini thread. Okay. So, yes, I can. I do remember this because this was kind of creepy. So, um, Lee, um, she is a character who had – her special ability is that she can sort of change light. And, and what she does is she doesn't wear a uniform, though when you look at the um, – when you when – you, actually read the comic it looks like she's in a multicolored 
Um, and it changes skin, all the time. It's actually and quite it changes a unique, all the time. it's a unique, cool idea. I gotta say Yeah, that. so she has the ability to kind of change light to make it seem like she almost has a skin-tight leotard on or like skin-tight clothing. Um, but in reality, uh, all she's doing is she's changing the color of light. She's really just walking around naked. Now, at a certain point in the in the lunchroom, somebody uh, somebody mentions how dogs uh, are colorblind, which means that Sarge, who is a dog, is colorblind and is thus not affected by her light changing uh, ability. Meaning he's been seeing her walk around buck naked all the time, so he's not seeing that multicolored uh, lens coverage that she's been using, and so she gets really mad because she thinks she's creeping, and so she goes up and she punches him, knocks him out. Now later, this is really funny. Later, he explains to her that, like, it's no big thing because, like, he's a dog. He's not he's not into humans. Like, he's got, you know, he's got a girlfriend, uh, like a little Mitzi or something like that. I can't remember her name. Uh, but he's got, like, a little dog that's his girlfriend that he's been seeing. And he just doesn't talk about it. And, he's, like, and he tries to convince her, like, yeah, I'm just a dog. Like, do you care when you see, like, your pet dog see you naked? I'm like, no, of course not. And so she's totally, she totally gets it. She's like, yeah, of course. And she apologizes and everything's fine. But then a little while later and sort of like an offhanded moment at the start of a scene, we see Sarge talking to another character where he's just like, yeah. And I told her that I had a dog girlfriend and, like, she totally bought it and everything was fine. So clearly (laughs) that freaking creepazoid should go to jail. Uh, Not, you know, he's just, yeah. So anyway, that's the reason because, yeah, there you go. All right, so next question. What's cuter, super mice or super cats? Oh, my God. This is a great question because uh, that – when that so what basically happens is uh, – I think his name is – Dwayne is the cowboy's name. I can't remember if that's really his name or is that's just like – maybe that's his partner's name. But anyway, his mother um, has a hole in the wall. And so during one of the issues, she's constantly like harassing him to come check it out. And so he finally does – and there's like these super rats, right? These these ultra, uh, they're called ultra mice. And so she has to call in an ex, uh, she has to call in an exterminator whose name is X Verminator. And do you because know... even the animals are super in this. Exactly, world. even the animals are super. And so how do you get if you have ultra mice? What do you need? You need atomic cats. And so when you look at it, like it's super close, but honestly. I really like the super mice. I'm not a cat person. I know you're a cat. You like cats. I don't. But I still found the rats to be kind of cuter. Plus, the cats just went and, like, are going to murder them. And so I think that loses some sense of cuteness when they're off there, like, devouring the little cute rats. So I'm going to go with rats. And I'm comfortable It's a tough one because I would love to see uh, MJ uh, wrapped in a superhero outfit. However, there was a rat with an eye patch. So it kind of tilts the scales in that direction. So I'll agree with you. That's a super mice. Cool. Cuter. Excellent. All right. I think you may have already answered this in your way, but I truly believe that there's one real answer here. So you're going to have to guess this right. Um, out of all the super characters, which one was the best character out of all of them? All the characters in the entire comic book, ancillary, they don't even have to be uh, like a police officer or anything. Just any character you saw in the whole thing. Okay, so that was my favorite sight gag. I do think there is a correct answer to this. Uh, and again, you said best. You didn't see say Justin's favorite. So I'm just going to throw it out there. I think it's the shark lawyer. Holy <laughs> Yeah, buddy. The shark lawyer was so funny. This guy's an actual shark. He's oh, my God. Shark. Yeah, buddy. That's the actual answer. <laughs> That's right. It's so good. It's shark so lawyer, good. best character. He's like, <laughs> oh, I love him. I love he's him. Just, he's he's so a lawyer, good. just trying his best to be a public defender. Hey, but this is a shark. 
He's got a shark yeah. head and shark body. Oh my god, so good. Yeah, that guy oh cracks me god. up. Man. Cracks me up. That's a perfect score. That's perfect. Oh, that's amazing. I am five shocked five. that I got a perfect score. I'm shocked. And one, that and one that could have been interpreted things. anyway, and you got it perfectly. So I'll give you an extra one. That's six. I'll give you six. I got, oh, I got six out of five. Holy crap! Oh my god. Oh nuts! Because oh, that that shark lawyer. That's too good. That's that's good writing right there. Thanks, Alan Moore. Yeah. Thank you for. I know there are so many good puns and jokes in it that it, it actually makes it fun. It, there's again. so many like. One thing I can say about this is that there's like there's like twelve TV shows in this. You know what I mean? <laughs> Where it's like you can have a TV show about super mice and super rats. You know what I mean? Like, but it's it's it reminds me of a comic book named Saga that I think you need to read at some point. Where it's, it's on my so, list. It's actually one of the ones on my list. It's, it's so uh, it's crazy. And like I think when the guy that it's Brian K. Vaughn does Saga, I might be wrong. I'm probably wrong. He he made it specifically so that TV shows couldn't make it. And this reminds me of that idea where it's so nuts. There's so many things, so many layers going on. That to replicate this as a TV show or a movie would be nearly impossible. Spoiler though, there is a Saga TV show coming out here soon. So uh, cool, good job. So anyways. All right, oh, so again, I, I like it. I actually really did like it, and I'm not a superhero guy, and I still found it fun. It's also got an end, so that's always exciting. Uh, so again, that's uh, it's top ten. It's written by Alan Moore. It's got art by Gene Ha, and it's uh, put out by Vertigo. Uh, so you can get it on Comixology as well. It's on Comixology Unlimited. So if you have a subscription, uh, you can gain access to all of the issues. So uh, really good choice, Justin. All right, so I'm going to change gears a little bit. My uh, challenge was to show Chambers on Netflix. So Chambers was created by Leah Rachel and stars Sivan uh, Alira Rose, uh, Marcus Lavoie, and Uma Thurman. So this is kind Excuse of a me. weird show. In Tony Goldwyn, hello. Sorry, Tony Goldwyn. Tony the Goldwyn. dude who 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 conspired to kill Patrick Swayze and Ghost and steal Demi Moore. How can you forget? And by the way, that dude's ripped, and I don't know how old he is, but he looks pretty good for his age. He looks good, the good same job, age Tony as he Goldwyn. did back in Ghost. So he's probably like 65 years old. But he's like <laughs> it's true. It's true. He actually looks really good. Um, so basically, uh, this TV show is about a girl who's 16, 17 years old. She lives in the poor part of Arizona. And she is. she works for her, I believe it's her father. I don't think it's her stepfather. She calls him Frank all the time. I believe it's her actual It's, uh, it's her uncle. It's her uncle. It's oh, it's her uncle. Frank. Okay. Okay. So I thought it was her father. So she she works with her uncle Frank, who works at a um, what is it, an aquarium place for all exotic fishes. And she she goes out with her boyfriend. She decides that this is the night where she's going to uh, give up her virginity. And she goes with her boyfriend. They go to her her boyfriend's father's mattress store. And during the act, she has a uh, heart attack, like a full on four chamber explosion kind of like a really really bad one so she has to have a heart transplant and when she has a heart transplant a girl basically dies at the same time and she donates her heart to her the girl's mother is played by uma thurman her father's played by tony goldwyn they're the 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 fat the fat i can't pronounce this lefevre lafarve they're the lefevers Lefevers. It says it's spelled like Favre, so I'm gonna say Favre. It's Lefevers. It's not spelled like Favre. There's no A. It's Lefevers. Favre. And they constantly, whenever they reference their names, they also pronounce it Lefevers. So I I feel like that's I'm pretty confident. Whatever. Anyways, so Becky is their daughter. Becky dies, and she uh, donates her heart, and um, 
and then uh, Sasha gets it. So you flash forward a couple, I believe a year to six six months to a year forward, and she had to miss a year of school because of it, and she's trying to get back into normalcy. Her boyfriend treats her like she's a piece of glass because the last time he touched her, uh, her heart exploded, so he's obviously a little cautious about the way he treats her. She wants to get back into it because she's tired of being treated like you know, a piece of glass and something very fragile, so they kind of get back into their relationship. She is visited at the exotic fish shop by Becky's father, Ben. Uh, ben says that he is the father of the girl that donated her heart to her, and he'd like her to come by and visit the home, have dinner, and uh, they go and visit. Her and Frank go visit. They turns out that they're very, very well-to-do uh, yuppies in... Um, in uh what was what's the starts with the b the city in uh arizona i forget what it was called here uh no this isn't um i don't know but like the place that was it was they actually gave it it's crystal it's crystal something or other it's like it was an affluent place in 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 arizona so they go visit this giant house um her mother's played by uma thurman and uh her name is Nancy and Nancy's clearly going through a lot of stuff still with her daughter passing away. They visit, have dinner, and they offer her a scholarship to go to their school in their area, which is a, a very high-level school. It requires a lot of money to go to, but they think that, you know, it's what Becky was doing, so we'd want to try and help live her memory through you, so they start giving her stuff. Meanwhile, while this is all going on, uh, Sasha's having weird, uh, like, flashbacks or... Or hallucinations where Becky kind of like is her and she is Becky. She sees Becky uh, assuming during her time of death. She sees Becky when she's having sex with her boyfriend. Lots of weird hallucinations are happening. It's basically creating the idea of she's being possessed by the ghost of this heart. Um, And then on top of that, there's questions as to how Becky died. They say that she was electrocuted in the shower... But you can't harvest organs if the person was electrocuted, so it's all very questionable about what's going on. Not with that kind of attitude. Yeah, sure. I mean, if you don't try, what are you going to do if you don't try? No, it just sounds like quitting to me. So they have a burning ceremony where they basically take all of her stuff and like burn it so they can send it to her in the next life. You find out that she lives. She lives with a family that has like like the 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 fevers have like very religious weird backgrounds to it, and they hang out with very religious strange people as well that have. Like crystals and weird beliefs about what goes on. And you keep on thinking more and more that something strange is going on with his family. Her father, Ben's very strange, constantly staring at Sasha. Her mother is in a, uh, Uma Thurman's character is in a constant state of crying. Um, and she talks like an old timey actress from 1930s. She doesn't, so, do, she doesn't do transatlantic stuff. Stop it. That, my that. Becky, she was a wonderful girl. That's not how she Anyways. Uh, so it all kinds of, I only watched the first two episodes it ends with, she kind of like falls asleep and hallucinates that Becky's being chased in the bathroom. And then I forget exactly how it ends in the second episode, but basically you, you think that her family knows more than they're putting out and that her more specifically, her father knows more than about the death of her daughter. And maybe that, uh, Nancy, Uma Thurman's character doesn't know everything that happened and that maybe there's a cover up and that, she was killed, not so much that she was accidentally, uh, like, died from an accident. So, <clears throat> what do I think about this show? It's, I saw two episodes of it. It's a good show, but I really don't know how I feel about it. 
So, like, the acting's not bad, except the guy who plays Frank sometimes questionable. Whoa, whoa, you watch it. That man is a saint. Frank is a wonderful man. Like, seriously, he's a wonderful man. You, you, you be careful, sir. He's a great guy. Uh, he, he put her under her wing, under his wing, despite, you know, her having nobody. And I, I, I really appreciate that. But, uh, and he can also probably tear me in half like a phone book. But, uh, he's, uh, I want to look like that dude. Suspect. Um, and all the characters are pretty fine. Becky's brother is kind of weird and sleazy. He's got, like, track marks on his arms. He's trying to, like, because he's playing the whole, like, I'm rich and I hate my life because I'm different in society, blah, 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 type of garbage. Um, but, like, it's it's okay. Um, a few things make me uncomfortable. Sasha's playing a 16 to 17-year-old. Now, the woman that plays her is 19. There's multiple sex scenes and multiple nude scenes with her. And it makes me feel really uncomfortable because she's supposed to be playing, like, an underage person. And it really kind of bothers me. And I, yeah. I have Isn't that a you issue, though? Like, it's mostly because a couple I'm weeks a ago, a couple weeks ago, like there was that whole Arya sex scene in in Game of Thrones, and all these people were like freaking out and whatever. And then I remember like Maisie Williams comes out and she's like, "Okay, well that's great now that you feel uncomfortable, but like I did the scene, my parents were watching. and my parents were watching. So like at a certain point, I just feel like, listen, it happens, whatever. And like sure, but I don't know. Like Considering a lot of the scenes. violence and drug use that transpires in this, I actually feel like I the am sex totally scene fine is the with least teens important. Using drugs, Jeffrey. I hope they use yeah. more. Actually. And like you know, doing horrible, violent things to one another. And yeah. yeah, heroin, do it. Premarital sex, no, thank you. That's not the type of life that I want to live. That's not the society that I want. I want my kids mm-hmm. all hooked mm-hmm. on smack and not I'm having just sex. Saying, I'm just saying, enough with you trying to stamp your values on other people, okay? All right, just, just a because little, you're uncomfortable with it doesn't hint. mean everybody else is. Um, there's a lot of really interesting tension building, but almost some of it seems very too much or unnecessary. Like, the father really stares at her a lot, and it seems there's a lot of red flags that you should like not hang out there anymore. And it's not like subtle red flags. It's kind of like straight up like, this guy is probably going to murder me type of thing. It's very weird. Um, and it seems a little bit out of logic of people at times. It's it's fine. It just didn't hook me. And when I talked to you about it sooner or earlier this week, you told me that kind of peters off at the end. So I'm probably right. not going to so, finish it. So, like, my thoughts, um, I really liked it for a while, actually. I thought the show did a really good job, of, like, like Justin said, of building tension. Um, I think that where... I would disagree with Justin slightly in that I think that that there wasn't the only thing I would say was unnecessary is like the overarching soundtrack sometimes like where they have Tony Goldwyn like Ben the father staring at her like that's fine like I have no problem with Uma Thurman's character crying the whole time I have no problem with them kind of you know, being sad and kind of staring at her and, and actually getting to the point where they almost seeing their daughter. Like, I get all of that. They just lost their, their, their child six months ago, you know? And like now this, this girl or might've been three months. Uh, now this girl comes into their lives and like they, they bring them in in kind of an awkward way. And you got to question whether the motivations are for that. Like it's a very awkward situation. So I buy all that, but I feel like there were times where there was almost too heavy handed with some of the tension uh, because of like the, the weird music that kind of came on and, um, and I, I just felt like you didn't need to do some of those things. I felt like they could have actually been even more subtle in some cases and just let the awkwardness of the situation and honestly some good acting uh, because there were there really some, were some good performances uh, to, to let, let like let that carry them forward. 
Um, I think that the show was great through about six episodes, and then it really started to unravel a bit. Um, now, I'll say that episode nine, fantastic, especially Uma Thurman. Holy crap. Uh, but episode 10, the finale, was terrible. Like, it it was like Game of Thrones season eight terrible, like in the sense that the first half of it was just it was boring like it was like the the culmination of a lot of the different breadcrumbs and pieces that have been building up throughout the course of the season were finally coming to a head and then the ultimate confrontation throughout the first half of that was kind of really meh and then there was a really heavily placed sudden reference to something that hadn't been referenced and out throughout the first nine episodes now maybe it has and i completely missed it but i don't think so and it was super heavy-handed, and then like the twist at the end was cool, but not not particularly earned yet, and it just kind of came out of nowhere. So I didn't really like the final episode at all. Loved episode nine. Episode seven and eight is when things started to unravel a bit. Like I really do feel like it got it got it, it lost its it's lost its pace, where it kind of tried to do too many things in too many ways, and I think certain characters started to behave in ways that didn't make sense. Like Frank's character storyline got all weird, and like. What happens to him at the end of the season, like where he's at when the season ends, like honestly just didn't really make any sense. Uh, So I do think the first five or six episodes are really, really good, Um, but it does start to unravel. Now, in terms of the location, like one of the reasons I, 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 you know, I I like it and one of the reasons I referenced it is because this is set in Arizona, even though the filming actually takes place in New Mexico. Now, um, I don't know where you're getting the B from, but the like I was saying, the specific location where this is set is Crystal Valley, and then it's also set in Cottonwood. So Cottonwood uh, is Probably where Sasha's from, and it's like on the border with a res. Uh, uh, so she herself is not, because she's, quote, a halfy, um, and I think a couple of other people use that term, um, she's not really welcome as much, especially since some stuff that happened with Frank. Like, Frank isn't really, like, welcomed on the res. Uh, and he has some you know, there's some discord with his father. Um, but then the Crystal Valley is kind of like a Sedona slash Scottsdale. So if you don't know about Sedona, Sedona is like Red Rock. It's sort of like halfway up the mountains, uh, about an hour and a half, maybe north of Phoenix. And it's uh, got some hippie stuff. It's a tourist trap. Got a lot of those crystals, things going on. But it's gorgeous country, like absolute gorgeous country. Uh, I don't think that's what the, that's not really where it's set, but just like thematically, that's kind of what I was envisioning. Um, but also kind of Scottsdale in the sense that there are a lot of really rich white people, because that's what Crystal Valley basically was. Crystal Valley High School was rich white people, whereas Cottonwood isn't. And so that kind of emergence of those two worlds is really interesting because I see that every day in Arizona, the juxtaposition of those sort of two, like those two economies and those, those two social groups. It's really fascinating. Um, so that's that's kind of where it's, where it's set and so those are the vibes i got from it but i really like it i i i was let down by the end and when season two comes around i'm still gonna totally watch it because i did like where it where it was kind of going but i just think there were some stumbles in the latter half of the season but the first five or six episodes are like creepy as hell like there are times where it just gets creepier and creepier and then it gets a little little wonky um it's like uh, I, I read a review. Somebody called it like I can't. I think something like Twin Peaks light, and I guess that's kind of true. You know, like desert mountain townish kind of, and like weird stuff happens. Um, kind of creepy crystal, like kind of hippie types, uh, and so there's a little of that going on. And I'm I'm kind of a sucker for that kind of thing. So it, it was already in my wheelhouse in terms of why I, I would have liked it. But you know, that's just me. I enjoyed it. it. It was fine. I just don't know if I'm gonna continue it. 
Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's my, that's my take on it. That's fine. You never continue anything from these quizzes. Are you ready for your quiz, though? I guess. Okay, so uh, the character who died uh, in the beginning, uh, her name is Becky and uh, or Rebecca. Uh, when Ben first meets Frank and Sasha inside the aquarium, when he comes to see them, uh, he says a couple. So these first two questions are, are, are from that scene because I thought it was a really good scene. Uh, so one of the questions is, why, according to her father, why did, according to Ben, why did Becky hate being called Rebecca? Because it's sounding like an old person's name? No, that well, that's incorrect. You had the first part of it. It's because it sounds like an accusation. Uh, which I, I never really understood that line. It didn't make sense what? to me. It was one of those lines that, like, I feel like it sounds good, but when I think about it, yeah, it's just like Rebecca. Like, I, I'm like accusation. What do you? All right. All right. So anyway, I guess question number one. Uh, question number two. According to Ben, why do rules exist? Now, there's a big rule about the the donor family and the donee family. They should not know each other. Like that should be anonymous. We shouldn't know each other. There's rules for that, right? And so they're breaking the rules by getting to know one another. And so according to Ben, as he's trying to explain and and justify why he needs to meet her and why he wants to invite them to dinner, why do rules exist? Rules exist to be bent? Is that what he says? Yeah, they they exist to keep us from feeling exactly what we need to feel. Now, I bring these two questions up because this is our first impression of Ben. And these are the two things that he says to them. Those are his two answers. When I hear those things, I immediately think, this guy is a nutbag. We should not go and have dinner with him. So there you go. Uh, okay, he speaks question. in long, weird sentences. Who he, the hell does that? He sounds like a nutbag, and so we should not go have dinner with him. All right, question number three. When Sasha and Frank go to the Lefevers for dinner in episode one, what prevents them from going home? And please be as specific as possible. There's a haboob that comes. And uh, okay. is that right? Did I say the word right? Haboob? That is correct. That is, is correct. And, so for uh, people listening who don't know what a haboob is, it's basically a big old dust storm. Yeah. And it comes in and there's a lot of, uh, I guess there was a warning that came out on their phones. I hear it all the time whenever you guys are playing games and stuff. A little uh, yes. alert system goes on. Storm warning. And it says there's a lot of power outages and stuff. And so they have uh, a place where they can stay overnight. And so there was a haboob coming. That's correct. That's the correct answer. Unfortunately, you did not get the extra credit. So you get full credit for the answer. So you get one of one, but you don't get the extra credit opportunity. What was so the extra credit? The extra credit opportunity was because the writers wanted them to stay at the home. <laughs> Okay. Because right. a haboob only only lasts like a couple hours, and I've been in many, and so it's very very easy. Because when the haboob shows up, it's still light out, and then it's only usually like two or three hours long at max, and that's a long haboob, by the way. Uh, and so they could have just waited out the storm and then left afterwards. And why they didn't do that makes no sense. Uh, so yeah, uh, uh, so the writers just wanted them to stay. And so they because they plot them stay. devices. Yes, it's a plot cool. device. It's just I don't think it was a incredibly strong one. But that's okay. That's fine. Uh, but you do get full credit, but not all the right, extra credit. Right, okay, okay. Okay. Question number four. Now you mentioned Elliot. Elliot is the the twin brother of Becky who uh, who died, and he is a former drug addict. He's going. He has some drug problems. And at one point, uh, he in episode two has to invite Sasha to the to the releasing ceremony, the burning that you mentioned. Uh, and so his parents want him to give her a uh, give Sasha an invitation. 
and he describes the Annex Foundation, which is kind of like a, a health club that his father, uh, his father is part of, and like they're kind of pushing this releasing ceremony. So, how does Elliot describe the Annex Foundation to Sasha? Mm, I don't remember. It's a pretty, it's a pretty funny line, man. Oh man, I completely forget. I do remember the conversation. I also remember when they're at the party, he has her cast. Remember that whole thing. Mm-hmm. I, I can't remember what he describes him as. I do remember him inviting her, though. Okay. So, uh, unfortunately, uh, that is incorrect. So the correct answer, it is a new age country club where you cleanse your soul and your colon, both at the same time if you want. So that is the Annex Foundation as described by Elliot. Now, question number five. I, I remember that. It's a pretty funny line. Uh, it's where you cleanse your soul and your colon. Like, that's, that's pretty funny. Your butthole. Yeah, your butthole and your soul. Uh, which are basically the same thing. All right, so uh, question number five. And, hey, good news. You already got one-third of this. Uh, so okay, what okay, okay. What does what do Becky's parent – or, excuse me, what do Becky's family burn for the releasing ceremony? You mentioned the the uh, the cast already, so you got Elliot's. But what about Nancy and Ben, the parents? Nancy got – She it was supposed to be the blanket – but then when they talk, she, uh, Sasha convinces her to put it away and hide it. And so she ends up just burning an empty box. And Ben. Two for two so far. Two for I two. I can't remember what Ben did. Uh, was it Was it a, a piece of jewelry? A ah, piece sorry. of jewelry? I can't. Sorry, that's incorrect. Uh, the, so you got, you got two out of three, so you get two-thirds uh, credit. But Ben burns a, uh, a little chest that has Captain Becky carved on it, and it's got a bunch of, like, navigational equipment from her time in, like, the Scouts or some sort of variation of, like, the Scouts. And so that's was, that was his. Yeah, uh, so you got two I, out of three. I remember his part. There was, like, the, the whole scene. Like, he didn't really talk about it too much, but there was a scene where, like, you, you see them both, like, looking at their, their, their stuff, and then he opens it up, and then he cries, and he throws it into the fire. All right, so uh, you got two-thirds for that. You got uh, one question other elsewhere, so you got one... Point six six out of five. All right, that's you know that's pretty that's good. Pretty I watched the episodes like a week ago, so yeah. pretty good, man. Pretty I have good. terrible memory as it is, so yeah, yeah. yeah. I thought uh, I was able to recap the, the story overall. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was able to do that. All right, Small Justin. Pictures. I guess it's time we talk about new quizzes, and you already know the one that you're supposed to be doing for me because I've, I've told you. So just to remind the listeners, you are uh, tasked with playing through Shenmue. I've started. I I kind of took a break from it because I didn't want to cough all over mm-hmm. sure. all over stream. So, but I'm because he's streaming this up on Twitch.tv slash Jehufa. However, you will not bullshit out of this one like you bullshitted out of the Resident Evil Two challenge. I've already started playing it, and it's boring. Mm-hmm. Dreamcast games uh-huh. stink. Hey man, hey, this is all this is all your brother's idea. So Shenmue. Okay, so what do you got for me? So I got three choices from you. All right. So first choice: Do you want? Clay animation. That's one of them. Next one, do you want a Canadian comedy or a comedic murder thriller? What would you prefer? Of those three, comedic murder thriller sounds the most interesting. Alright, so the three choices were Hell and Back, which is a animated uh like clay animation movie on Netflix. Then there was Letter Totally Uninteresting. There's Letter Kenny, which is a Canadian. Letter Kenny, I'm familiar with because when we watch, whenever we watch Hulu, because uh, we have like a Hulu with commercials because it's part of our um, a part of our Spotify uh, subscription. 
we get commercials for that all the time. Um, so I honestly think you can never give that to me. Otherwise, uh, Melissa might divorce me. So okay, so, okay, so, sorry, we'll and not. She hates that commercial so much. It's crazy. Uh, so what was the what is so, and what is my quiz? You're going to watch Tragedy Girls on Hulu. So that's what you're going to okay. watch. Tragedy it is described Girls. as a horror comedy thriller. That's what it is. It's about social media awesome. status and uh, pressures of high school. So it's about. All right. All right. Excellent. All right, then. Uh, there's only one thing left to do, and that's to close this episode down. So, uh, folks, if you're listening, if you like what you're hearing, if you have any suggestions for us, uh, if you have any ideas for what our challenges might be or something maybe we could review, uh, go ahead and drop us a line, maybe on social media. Uh, you can catch me on Twitter at LollygaggerCo. That's LollygaggerCo. Uh, you can also catch Justin up there at JD Buys. Uh, you can get Justin on uh, doing some streaming, maybe of Shenmue this week. Uh, you can get him at twitch.tv slash Jehufa. Uh, and you, if, you, uh, if you have the time, uh, drop us a nice little uh, review or a little couple stars. Maybe, a little, maybe say something nice, give us a thumbs up, whatever your various iPod uh, slash podcasting stuff might be. Uh, all right. Justin, I have a, uh, a question for you. I would like you to tell me, and this is right up your alley, you're going to love this question, where is your favorite place to take a nap and why? All right, so I have a, a, I do have a favorite place. In my man room, I have an old couch that I got when I was in college. And the reason why it's a good couch for napping because it's a, it's a deep couch. I go there on a regular basis and put in some work, heavy, hard nap work. All right, so that's my favorite place to nap at. 